VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. And welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm conspicuously absent from the Times Power 100 list. I need to have a word with that <laughs> Ashling O'Connor. So mischievous of her. However, I'm lucky to be joined by my three favorite Times writers. It's Alison Rudd, it's Ollie Kay, and it's Ben Smith, who will sadly be departing us, so we won't talk anymore about him. But let's start at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City and Sunderland, a 3-3 draw. Now, what, what struck me was, uh, Ollie, I want to start with you, that at some point when they're 3-1 down, you kind of think that, all right, look, the title's over. The mind games or whatever explanation you want to use, or maybe it's that the Black Cats, given what happened the last time City played Sunderland, it's all coming together and it's all done. And then... City get those two goals and come back to equalize, and it's 3-3, and there's a glimmer. And as, as we tape this, uh, United have yet to play Blackburn Rovers. But is the glass half full or half empty? I mean, do the positives of that reaction um, outweigh the negatives of another two drop points? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, it's, it's not... It's not half empty, it's, but, it, but it's emptying. Uh, I don't see, I don't see the, the glass being filled back up to the brim by um, by those two late goals. I, I think anybody who would would think that Manchester City would go, you know, that their players would go into that dressing room positive and and, and excited and um, energised and um, uh, you know, all upbeat after the two late goals. I think they are uh, underestimating uh, the sort of. Dynamics of that squad that they're they're a miserable lot at times when you know when things aren't going well and they've um, you know it was a bad result and and they knew it and they knew that they'd uh, squandered a big opportunity to put more pressure on United. So why did they bother to come back and score those two goals? Because they were hoping to get a fourth one and the fourth one would have would have made a difference. But I, you know, as I saw on um, on um, Saturday. Once they'd scored the the second and third, you you were looking for the momentum that would take them forward to to to, to try and get a fourth goal, and I think they had what was it, nine ten minutes, including stoppage time, and they never really looked like doing that. I, I, they, they never really threatened the fourth goal. Knowing what I do about that group of players and and their mood at the moment, that dressing room would have been a dark place afterwards. It wouldn't have been full of uh, back slapping and um, excitement at, at the point gained. It, it would definitely be viewed as two points dropped. Anybody disagree? You all embrace Ollie's negativity? Oh, I think it definitely, the feeling at the, the end was, you know, bloody hell, we've blown it, I think. It wasn't, thank God we got two goals and rescued a point. It was, uh, 
it was doom and gloom all around the place. You know, Mancini afterwards was was very downbeat and. Uh, and Mancini gets like that because yeah, that's kind of his personality, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, I understand, but there was no, um, you know, there was no rejoicing in the fact that, God, thank God, we got two goals back and didn't lose at home. It was, it was, it was, as Ollie said, a bad result, and it, and it's uh, and a damaging one as well. But was it really that? <laughs> was it really that terrible? Because I'm looking at the marks, Ben, that you gave yeah, yeah, both yes, sets, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, both sets of players and uh, Man City players. It's it's as you would expect, but you gave incredibly high marks to the Sunderland, Sunderland players, were fantastic. which implies yeah. it's not such a dreadful what, result. Sorry, if you're facing what? a team that are playing the best, it sounds to me like that might have been very well the best Sunderland have played all season, uh, and they've had uh, some good performances. They go, they go to the most difficult stadium at the moment to go yeah. to. They're on an r- unbeaten run, winning streak. They play really, really well. Mm. City are rattled a bit by this, but they pull it back to, to get a draw. I, I, I think you can make a case that's not bad. That's no, not bad I, when Sunderland I, play so well. I know, but no one looked at this game and thought, God, City will do well to get a point out of that. You know, I, I think Sunderland played as well as I've seen them all season. They were excellent. Sorry, was brilliant. How many Last shots on goal did Sunderland take in that game? Because uh, I make it, it's three shots on goal and yeah, three but, goals. Yeah, yeah, but there were... So we can, we can all celebrate the minimalism, but City also <laughs> squander a lot of... I'm not saying yeah, Sunderland yeah, no, played no, badly in this difficult situation and, and they also had players missing sure. and everything. But to say they had three shots on goal and scored all three and that was it is, is a complete false representation of the game. They could have scored three goals in the first half. Which, they, they could have scored three goals on top of the two they scored in the first half. In fact, they missed the target. It wasn't, you know, didn't make it not a good chance. Sunderland, Sunderland were excellent and they were excellent from the first minute. Um, Bettner had a volley cleared, cleared away by Riches in the third minute. You know, it was, it was from the very start that Sunderland played well, but they were only allowed to play well because City looked inhibited they looked nervous that the feeling in the stadium beforehand was we can't blow this and then that got onto the pitch they, they weren't the City we know they they have been this season Ollie, um for better or worse Mario Balotelli scores two goals he gets into a row with Kolarov over who gets to take the free kick um, he plays peacemaker on, on one occasions um, and then you know he goes off the pitch grumpy um, kind of sums them up. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it, what doesn't necessarily sum is after up is, is the fact that he scored twice. I, I, I thought from what I saw, which wasn't the whole game, it, it looked like he was. Um, it looked like he was just having one of those all too frequent games where he, he just looks like he hasn't tuned in. You know, his brain isn't tuned into playing football. He has those games quite often. Mancini said. You know, he would have taken him off after five minutes if he could, and you know, he, he just seems to have those games. It's not, it's not every week, it's not every other game, but he, he has them far too often for a guy who, although he's young, should be better than that. I mean, he's so immature, he's so temperamental, and yes, he's yes, he's 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 got very good technique, and he he's capable of very cool finishes, not least in the penalty spot, but he's. I, I, I think the bad way to good with Balotelli. I, I think he's a, I think he's a liability. Ben, you were at this game, so I'm assuming you've done your sleuthing and your your homework. And I'm only going by, by by media reports. So please correct me if I'm wrong here. Who is that Sir, the guy Sir Alex Ferguson planted disguised as some kind of city physio and uh, and poured uh, uh, acid on Sergio Aguero's <laughs> foot? Who was it? Uh, that, has he been that, found now? He has not. He is has it? not. Mancini's clearly... It's not Jason Ferguson, is it? <laughs> Mancini's clear, clearly furious about it. I mean, he... he so can you explain what happened for those who don't know? Uh, Sergio Aguero damaged his foot. 
somehow it was we know all we know that it was not playing with his child on a mini motorbike that is not how it happened because Mancini denied that but we do not still do not know how the original it was injury, a spray wasn't it well no it was the, confirmation of that yeah there was a there was an injury to start with it was then treated with this magical spray or not so magical spray it's an anesthetic spray I believe yeah which then uh, there was a, a allergic reaction to that spray uh, Aguero's foot blistered and that is what has kept him out of the matches Mancini no, no evidence of foul play one of the first no, no, Mancini, no? Mancini isn't happy about it I Brian McClare perhaps no? <laughs> we, asked, we asked him Phil Brown perhaps <laughs> tried to do an unsolicited favour to his friend no. we asked him you know was it was it Aguero's fault no it wasn't Aguero's fault it's, not, it's nothing to do with Aguero it was not his fault it was not his fault he said so, so we, said, do you, we said do you trust the club medical staff he said I only trust my personal doctor um, at this point, um, Manchester City intervened to, to kind of prevent the line of question going any further. But the, the inference is that a mistake has been made by the medical staff and Mancini's not happy with them. I, I should point something out here for, for those who, who don't know and, uh, and sad inter-watchers uh, will, will, will probably remember this. Mancini has had problems with club doctors um, throughout his career, certainly at Inter. He had an enormous falling out with the medical staff there, which got really, 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 really nasty and really was probably at the heart of his uh, decision to, to leave prematurely. So um, I, 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 from what you're saying, it doesn't seem like it's going down that same way. It's just kind of curious that this would happen. This would happen twice. He must. He, Mancini's already quite a superstitious guy, so um, he's probably not too happy about this. Uh, Asin, should we talk some Sunderland? They had guys out. They, they, they you know, this, this wasn't um, a full side. But I want to start with um, with Sessegnon. On paper, you would think he's not a typical O'Neill player, and yet as. Uh, He's been he's been devastated. He's taken to the guy. Especially in Sessegnon also had a reputation in, in France as being, you know, a bit of a nut job too. You know, indisciplined, unpleasant, blah, blah, blah. But he was good under Bruce. He's better under O'Neill. I don't know. This seems to be turning into the season of those sort of players who have um, intuition. I And I think that's probably the most... Maybe that's what. Maybe that is the mark of a, a good manager who can go, go into a team who look, they're probably not going to go down, but they're struggling. They're struggling, and they they allow the players that are there to find to have confidence in their intuition. Um, I don't know. I mean, you were there for the whole game. I only saw the highlights, but I, it, it seems to me he's someone who's intelligent and makes runs, intelligent runs, yeah. in, in, in neat short passing, and yeah. you know, just I just very beautiful intuitive player and I think that does come from the manager saying and he's done this with other players as well at the club he's very good uh, O'Neill at saying I think you have it express it yeah yeah. And, uh, he, he, he was fantastic uh, playing in just behind Bentner was given the freedom to drift left to drift right he created the first goal breaking in from the left hand side he created the second wide on the right and the third, he picked up the ball in his own half and, and hit a 30, 40-yard ball to Bentner who, who laid it on for Larson. He, was, he did everything you'd want a player in that position to do. He was, he was, it was one of the best performances, individual performances I've seen all season. We like to compartmentalise people um, and, and sort of uh, you know, see patterns and things like that. I was trying to think back to previous O'Neill sides and I mean, getting sort of based on the description that, that Ben, um, the, the Ben put forward of Sessegnon's role behind, behind Bettner. Um, can you, as, as a seasoned O'Neill watcher of not quite Lansley-esque proportions, but still, um, can, I, was, I was trying to think, can you think of 
of other players that O'Neill has had who who occupied that role, who had those characteristics. I was I mean, obviously thinking to Larson at Celtic, but then again, mm. Larson was, was a different sort of player. He could do that, but he was just so much better than everybody else that he could do what he wanted. But it, it's not really something that in the past was was sort of contemplated in a in an O'Neill lineup. But. No, off the top of my head, um, nobody really springs to mind. I, I, I mean, I've always thought of him as a generally more of a sort of four four two type manager, and 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 he's done you know done well out of four four two. I mean, he's I mean similarly, you you look at Bentner and you would say he's he's not really an a, an O'Neill type player. He's certainly not an Emil Heskey type player um, for, for for better and occasionally for worse. Um, but you know, he, he, he's just gone into that dressing room and looked at you know looked at the players they've got and, and has has found a way to to win with it. I mean, you look at McLean, who's you know was sort of plucked from obscurity almost, um, you know, for, for, from the reserve team, and, and and he's you know he looks like a a really really good player, you know, really effective Premier League player. And um, I mean, people like Catamol, Gardner, Sessegnon, obviously. I mean, it's it's just it's it just they just suddenly look like a really good, decent um, O'Neill type team, and and I don't know how much more he could get out of the players that that he's got there. I think I think most of them are going full pelt at the moment, but I mean, it, isn't that a good thing? I mean, it, it, there are many um, mid-table teams who are going at full pelt at this time of the season. All right, from one northeastern team emerging victorious uh, against a um, largish northwestern side uh, to another, um, Newcastle two 0 over Liverpool. Um, I want to start out with something else, which you know, obviously, as a as a guest in in, in your country, uh, I still have to put up with. You know, it's creeping into our game. The foreigners brought it over. I, Roy Keane, one of my heroes, saying like, "Well, Balotelli, you can tell he's Italian. They like to do that," referring to diving and theatrics and play acting and. This season, I was making sort of a mental list of the most egregious incidents, and, and I also want to point out that, like, while running at a defender, sticking, you know, leaving your leg behind and letting yourself fall at the slightest contact, that's all bad, right? But there's also really, really bad, which is diving like a complete moron, which is the way Andy Carroll does, who does it in a very stupid way as well, throwing yourself to the ground like a little sissy, like the way um, Mr. Perch did. And I might add earlier this season, Joey Barton, and especially Mark Tierney, of whom um, it was said he doesn't deserve to walk around with a shaved head uh, and call himself a defender in the Premier League when you're going to be such such an absolute wuss about it. Um can we now can we now uh, um, for once agree that if you know we came to infect uh, your game, uh, your, your previously um, untarnished game with our evil ways, we have now succeeded, and you are as fully diseased as we are. Ollie, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, totally I would agree. agree. I would it's, agree with that. It's, uh, I think it's it's actually got got to the stage now where it's it's instinct uh, in a lot of cases. People will be going past the challenge. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't quite see what happened with the Mark Davis one at, at Bolton. Uh, that's a, that's another one. Yeah. Mark you know, Davies, of course, is uh, is from Argentina. No, no, Uruguay, better yet, right? <laughs> but the, I mean, it, it just seems to be instinct now where where, where people are going past. A leg that doesn't even have to be sticking out, and, uh, and they just, you know, they, they either try to hook their their foot around it and, and fall down that way, or whatever. I, I absolutely despise it, and it's it's it's. I mean, I, I, it's 
that'll be very hard to, to turn the tide now unless unless the authorities enable something sort of re- retrospective. But I, I just absolutely despise it, and I, I despise the fact that you cheating foreigners um, have, 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 have turned our, our, our game bad now. Yeah. <laughs> Sue, we will teach you to cook and eat proper food as well. Um, Alison, I, I mean, obviously the two incidents there in the game, Andy Carroll um, trying to win a penalty and the other one that was, was bizarre because it was, it was Perch who Pepper Rainer comes off comes off his line, collects the ball. Perch looks like he gives him a little kick, maybe he doesn't, niggly stuff or whatever. Rainer goes dementoid, turns, gets right in his face, puts his face right up against him. Now, Pepe Reina, obviously clever enough, knows all the dark arts because he's another foreigner himself, that he's not really going to go and headbutt you know, James Perch in that situation because he doesn't want to be banned. But he puts his face very close to his and Perch just kind of grabs his face and delayed reaction, chucks himself to the ground. Can we actually rate which is worse? Because I would actually argue that Andy Carroll's an idiot for what he did, but it was actually very easy to spot, I thought, and the referee correctly booked him, booked him for diving and hopefully should realize that a man his size cannot dive in that way and think he's going to get away with it. He's just not graceful and coordinated enough to do that. But the other guy, Perch, I mean, you what are you trying to do? Are you just trying to get somebody sent off late in a game that you're already winning 2-0 for what, for... I would, I would, I would have thought most people would say uh, Perch, Perch's actions were the most despicable of the two. Because I, in a way, you could the Andy Carroll thing. It's 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 complicated. He he's going back to the club where, and they're booing him, and it's where he was once very happy, and he's not a happy striker anymore, and he's trying to prove stuff. And I prob, I imagine a lot of stuff was going through his head at that moment, and it may not have been um, that he consciously thought I'm going to dive now. It just I don't think he was in a good place and he made the wrong decision. So I think that's a complicated thing. With Perch, I think that's completely uh, clear and there are no complications. He, he, he just behaved like a cheat. He thought, woohoo, someone's put their head near my head. I can just I can just fall to the ground, get someone sent off and I'll be a hero with my mates. Well, no, you won't. I mean, I hope he's deeply embarrassed today. And I thought it was interesting that Rayner was... Obviously, he was cross with Perch's reaction and, and incredulous, and he didn't get cross with the referee. He realised the referee had been duped, and it wasn't the referee's fault, and he didn't lose it there. He just thought, I, I, can't, I can't believe this has happened. That was the, definitely the worst action of the day. Unfortunately, I think Rayner did deserve a red card. I think as soon as you go to put your head towards someone these days, even if you don't make contact, the word intent gets you, and I think referees send you off because of that. Unless, but, of course, it's your teammate, uh, as in oh, the Wolves yeah. game, in which case, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I think... Perch, you could argue Perch could have been sent off. Uh, first for tripping Rayner, and then secondly for diving himself. I mean, I think what stuns me is that these footballers, Andy Carroll included, don't don't realise that they're going to get shown up for being fools and cheats instantly by television replays. I mean, I don't I don't get it. How do you not know that you're going to look like an idiot? I mean, was Perch was it was despicable. It was the worst worst kind of thing we've got in this game, and and it was nothing but cheating. It was a pure cheat Ollie another bad result for Liverpool if we had uh, if we had more than our usual quota of of Liverpool fans here um, they would point out that it would have been a completely different game if uh, if Simpson had been had been sent off for that handball on the line and you would have had a penalty and uh, and all that jazz and it would have changed the complexion of the match and and whatever Um, all that might be true and 
I think it probably was a pen, but then again, it was really, really difficult to spot. Uh, is that a valid excuse? Um, I don't know if it's an excuse. It, it, it's, an, it's an explanation, and, and, and it is true that Liverpool did start the game very well, and uh, you know, Carroll, I think, should have scored from the opportunity where he, where he got around the keeper and, um, and uh, mysteriously uh, fell down. Um, they should have had a penalty, and then they fell behind um, very soon afterwards. And you know, I, I wouldn't judge them on their, I wouldn't judge them on their performance in the first 20 minutes. I would judge them in their, you know, on their reaction to falling to falling one 0 behind, which was just awful. It was so lacklustre. Um, it was it was just a heartless, brainless display in the end. And although they had the odd, you know, they had decent moves at times. They seemed to compete well at times, but there was just you know poor decision making, lack of uh, real desperate effort at times and it was just it was it was just very it ended up having started well being a very poor performance and a very worrying performance for Liverpool but I want to turn to Newcastle we've praised them um, for much of the season for, for what they've achieved and again for those keeping score at home I want to point out that their central defensive partner uh, partnership was uh, indeed the aforementioned Perch and Mr. Williamson at the back uh, two guys I think would be you know maybe number five or number six on, on in terms of centre half the most uh, Premier League sides of course no Colaccini no Taylor um, and at left back uh, I think they had uh, Jonas uh, uh, you know Gutierrez which again um, not really his role but I'm wondering going forward how do they build on this because obviously they've got a very useful team together they're going to have injured guys coming back do you get the sense that Ashley who's lost so much money thinks all right like we got the good place look i can make money from you know selling tiote or or selling this guy and and whatever else is, is that going to be his his temptation or do you think he, he voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. He really wants to start thinking in terms of top four and is ready to put the further investment in there. Uh, I, I don't believe he thinks he's thinking top four. I don't, I don't think for a second he's thinking top four. His plan is certainly having spoken to, to people at Newcastle high up people at Newcastle earlier this season their plan was always to buy them cheap um, allow them to grow and play in Newcastle and sell them on for a profit and, and I think we'll see that this summer I, I think Denver Bar will go I think Teote will probably go um, I think if they get good offers on their top players they'll sell them and I think they'll try to bring in players to replace them at a very uh, very cheaply as they did last summer I want to get your take on this and also can I ask because we've had this come up before I Ashley has lost money 
awful lot of money on this team year after year, despite you know selling players at a profit year after year. Um, certainly over the last, I think, three um, fiscal years. Are Newcastle would Newcastle really be attractive to to a buyer? I mean, obviously great support and whatever else, but if Ashley can't make money off them even with the team doing so well. And I think this year they may they may break even or make a small profit, but that's sort of a confluence of freak events starting with the Carroll sale and, and then doing so all the season. I mean, I'll put it this way. If you had a lot of money, are Newcastle the club you would buy? I mean, Newcastle are an appealing proposition. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a one, one club city. They, they, they get... You know what was required just like fifty odd thousand. Right, can you squeeze more money out of those fans? Because those fans have been so loyal. They buy all the merchandise. They all go to the stadium. What are you going to do? Like to make more money? Raise, you know, raise ticket prices? Sell no, the naming rights? I, oh look, he's redone. Giving them away to his, his own company. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, Champions League qualification would make such a difference. But if we accept that, you know, they're, they're probably going to fall a little bit short of that this season. And this season, I think the bar has been far lower in terms of a top four finish than perhaps it has been in the past. Because I, I, I don't think I don't think there are four top teams in, in, in the Premier League. That, or there haven't been this season. I think that the standard has been very low at times. It shows the, the difficulty in. in in actually trying to finish fourth, I mean, it would cost an absolute fortune to to build a te- to team and, and build a squad that would be expected to do better than Newcastle have done this season. Obviously, it would be it would be good for Newcastle if, if any departures are, are kept to a minimum and they can build on what they've got and they can they can add more quality because their, their scouting is, is brilliant. Um, but it, it's very difficult to, to, to think um, that without putting huge amounts of money in, they could really improve. Big moves afoot once again at the uh, Football Association. Um, they've created a new post of technical director and, and there's this uh, new national football center in Burton-on-Trent. I just want to ask you what, and we've heard in the past from Peter Lanzi on this, but I want to ask you what is... Uh, what would you like this thing to do? Best case scenario, Ollie, I'm going to start with you. If you were hired as a as a mega consultant, 550 pounds an hour to the Football Association, and they said, all right, give me three things that this National Football Center must do for it to be a success, uh, what would you say? And we're not going to pay you 550 pounds an hour, by the way. Um, and what people always say when, when this thing is, is, is brought up, they, they always say, oh, you know, about time we're going to have our Claire Fontaine we're going to be developing you know, a, a, you know it's going to be a place to develop top class players and it's not that at all players are not going to be developed there players are going to remain uh, at their clubs and, and it, it's going to be the academy system it, it, it's been for the last um, 12, 13 years whatever so what do they need all those 16 pitches for or well, however many there are it, it, it's for you know it's for the use of the national teams when, when they're there but the, but the main thing about the, the National Football Centre is that it will be about coach education and while that is not very sexy and it will um, it will take years and years and years to bear any fruit I think most people would agree uh, I think everybody would agree in fact that coach education is something that that English football hasn't been terribly Okay, good. so I take it that's one of your three things, yes? Well, uh, th- a place where you can educate and school coaches into becoming better coaches. What I, are the other two? Uh, well, I, I, ideally, you'd want um, you'd want the players to be developed there in some way, but that's not going to happen. And you'd, you'd look for some kind of, I guess, sports science uh, development um, 
because that's another sort of facet of it or you know find ways to, to be more innovative than, than English football has been in the past rather than borrowing from other countries five or ten years after other countries have worked these things out anybody have any better suggestions or alternative suggestions or uh, or perhaps uh, auxiliary suggestions to all these one which I think is the most obvious one but also the most important one which is just have a place where you can teach people how to coach and coordinate the, the various um, coaching uh, yeah I mean the date now I agree yeah, no one would disagree that teaching coaches to be better coaches is a good thing but I, I would be slightly concerned that because there are these pristine pitches at the centre that you invite who are the people who are already considered to be decent coaches and there's an elitism about it and you just take through the cream of coaching around the country when in fact what really matters is that everyone should be piped through and have a chance to go even if they're just level one and starting out it's not going to be used by the national team very often so you've got you've got 12 hours a day and if it's floodlit you've got more than that you sort of make everyone who coaches football feel important enough because they get a chance to go to, to eventually help an England team somewhere down the line you've got to have the best possible coaches teaching our kids from the minute they start playing the game yeah, but and so that they isn't there are, a natural selection process for yeah I mean, isn't is this kind of the, the heart of the matter right I mean let's face it the, the people who are going to play for England one day they all the 12 year olds are going to grow up to be England players one day presumably all play for no more than, I don't know, what, a thousand clubs in the country or schools or, or, or whatever. So the really rubbish ones Alison's talking about, they will never play for England. So do we, and, and I don't just mean England men's, I mean like girls as well and whatever else, but is there a point in... No, the, point, the point is you don't, then don't lose all the kids who are good but are lost to the game because they're not in a place where they're coached well. Ollie, um... When, when, when news of this came out, news that they're going to um, appoint a technical director, I, I, I was very disturbed by the words of, um, of, of one um, FA official who I actually consider to be one of the good guys and one of the intelligent people. Um, and no, I'm not referring to Alex Horn. Um, where he came out and, and he said two things. And I, I mean, I, I wrote about this next week, but I'd love to go over with you again. Where he talked about, you know, sort of Spain and Germany, and when they appointed uh, Matthias Sammer and Fernando Hierro, they had technical directors, and look how well they've done. And, 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 but most of all, the, the, this idea that all the youth teams should be playing the same way, and that England, uh, England at all levels, uh, men's and I presume women's too, should have a, a, a very clear philosophy based on retaining the ball and whatnot. And, and I thought this was just silly. The process in Spain and Germany began a long time ago. Nothing to do with Matthias Zammer and Fernando Hierro. In Germany, it began, you know, sort of 1998 to 2000. It began with an academy system, um, which is actually what you have here. Um, and they don't just teach people to play a certain way. They actually teach players tactical flexibility, familiarity with all sorts of systems. And they leave it up to, to, to the, the coaches at each level, uh, a youth level and a club level, to teach what system they think is best based on the kids that they have. Um, the other absurdity is this obsession with with, with, with possession and ball retention yeah it works now it works very well for Barcelona and for Spain but hasn't always been that way I mean 10 years ago um, you know it, it, it was a different situation and why play possession when maybe you're better suited to play a different style of football um, were you as disturbed by by those words as, as, as I clearly was uh, I wasn't as disturbed by it as, as, as you were. No, I, I, I would I would say that the the implementation of of some kind of 
long-term philosophy about English football is, is very long overdue. Um, I know, you know it shouldn't be set in stone. There should but be tactical Wilkinson do this? And, and well, that's yeah, how we end up with the academy and, system? And, and Charles Hughes and position of maximum opportunity. No, no, okay, we, we, we <laughs> mark, okay. But to be fair to Howard Wilkinson, I mean, I, you know, he, he's not Pep Guardiola, but lumping him together with Charles Hughes, and I know he gets lampooned as some kind of dinosaur, but he's not quite like that. I mean, a lot of good things came out of his white paper, right? Or am I totally wrong on this? I think that was a, that was a sort of very first step uh, t- towards an overhaul of, of youth development in this country, and, and that was in 1998. And, d- you know, there, there were various uh, problems uh, and, and flaws in it, according to people at, at various clubs, in terms of uh, access to players and, and number of hours and, 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 and you know, this 90-minute rule, etc. It's taken until now, you know, 2012, for, for them to get onto the next stage, which is this elite player performance plan, which the Premier League uh, um, have introduced and there are some unhealthy aspects I think to that as well so I, I don't think that's the um, ultimate um, answer as, as far as everything is concerned but what is very important is that England have some kind of belief and philosophy about what they're trying to do what they're trying to achieve on a football pitch if you look at the history of the England team or the recent history of the England team it's you know whenever a new manager comes in it's it's starting from scratch and you look at somebody, you know, Germany, Holland, wherever, there's more of a sort of long-term evolutionary feel to that. I mean, Aragonés quit after Euro 2008, Del Bosque came in, and, and it was it was pretty seamless. Uh, you know, you look at Love taking over from Klinsmann and, and whoever will ultimately take over from Love. There is a sort of long-term philosophy there, and you don't see this sort of boom and bust and, and, and ups and downs that you see with the England team. It, it, it's it's about creating that kind of thing, which, right. you know, and, and the, the education of players and the education of coaches is central to that. The other thing you need then at St. George's Park is a laboratory where you try and discover what what is what is the English game? What, I mean, it's it's still vague, Ollie, isn't it? What what what, would, what is it? What is what does make the English game? What what bits of the English game are successful that we should be imparting and to have this seamless transition for the next fifty years of success that we're going to have because we know who we are. We don't know who we are yet, do we? English game is uh, loss of nerve and penalty shootouts. It, it's bad diving. Seriously, we've had a crisis of confidence, I think, on the international stage in some ways. I think we, we feel t- technically inferior, which we're no doubt we are, but we, we have felt that we needed to try and copy the rest of the world at a game they've long since perfected and that we'll always be trying to catch up And with. that's why Gab's spot on. We just wouldn't try and do... We, just, we can't, we can't yeah, we suddenly can't become Spain. No. Spain. And we're we, not Spain. By the time we, ca- you know, by the time there's any chance of catching up with Spain, Spain will be on to the next thing, and they'll be oh. better at it than us. So why don't why don't England? Why doesn't England be work on the things that they are good at? I mean, you look at the success, the, the most recent success of the, the national team, probably back in Euro '96. They weren't playing tiki taka. They, they weren't playing this this patient possession game. There was speed. There was there was crosses from out wide. There was everything that was good about English football right in that team. And since then, we've moved away from that. Uh, I, I still. Okay don't know why and I still don't know why there is a feeling that we need to copy the, the best European teams to try and make ourselves better it's not going to work I think what you copy are the well what is worth copying and, and I, I think coach education is the single biggest thing coaching academies that work and, and I actually look at Holland as an example 
there's actually a very wide variety. People talk about the typical Dutch manager. Yeah, no, it's not just Louis van Gaal and Johan Cruyff and all this total football and all this rubbish. It's also Goose Hiddink. It's also Bert van Marwijk, who are much, who can be much more tactical, much more direct, much more eight-one-one in occasion. And in Holland, it's because uh, the, in like in Italy and indeed like in France as well you see a wide variety of, of coaches emerge because when you go there, you're actually taught every system um, a, as a coach. And, you know, you kind of pick the one that you're most comfortable with that matches your philosophy or, or that manages the kids you're working with. I think that is the single most important thing. And I think that's where England actually lacks, lacks way behind. There's no explanation about why, as a nation, you guys produce on balance so many terrible coaches um, and, and, and managers. You know, you certainly don't punch your weight uh, at that level. But beyond that, the development of the players is, I don't know, I mean, Danny Welbeck, is he technically that much worse than some of the, these some of these guys at, at Sunderland? I mean, I know Joe, Joe Allen, like, is, I mean, obviously he's Welsh, but, um, you know, is, is, he, is he such a poor footballer that he would embarrass you on the England stage? So I, I think that getting the, the technical guys in, I mean, I think that's happened. I think maybe what's, what's necessary is um, a better tactical vision and, and, and players who are that little bit more professional, and although great strides have already been made there, and you know, a, a more consistent pipeline of creative, intelligent coaches. All right, enough of that. Time for some quick hits. Ben, you're leaving us, so you get the first question. Fernando Torres scores his first league goal since September as Chelsea pummel Aston Villa. Uh, two quick ones for you. Are you ready to say he's turned the corner? And will Villa get sucked into the relegation battle? I think there are signs he's not far off turning the corner. The confidence is back. He's clearly a very different player. He hasn't got the pace he once had, but he's learning how to play differently. Uh, so, yes, I would expect him to score more goals before the end of the season. Villa, they do look like they're suddenly in a bit of trouble. Teams below them are winning. Uh, I think they're only four points clear of Bolton now. So, um, yes, I think they will get sucked into the relegation battle. Uh-oh. Everton uh, quietly win again. Ollie, why is Davey Moyes' team seemingly getting better as the season wears on? Uh, well, it seems to be what they always do. Uh, it's it's, it's the same, same, same pattern as every season. But I think this season, uh, the, before, the the situation was slightly different in that they had a, a very difficult summer, didn't manage to make the additions that they wanted to their squad, lost Arteta and lost others, and the confidence was very low. Then they made some very good, uh, did some very good transfer business in, in January, Gibson, Pinar, Jelovic, uh, etc. Um, and I, I think finally, in the second half of the season, they've got momentum and I think that's that's a big factor Wow, prepare for them perhaps finishing above Liverpool. Spurs beat Swansea 2-1 and now remain on track for top four finish. Um, Alison, should Spurs fans be happy or should they fear all this uncertainty in their future, what with Redknapp, Adebayor, Modric and all that good stuff? Um, if they don't finish in the top four then they, they, they should be worried. If they stay in the top four I think momentum will will mean they can they can carry on regardless if Fred Knapp leaves then they'll, they'll attract a really great manager who will have all these wonderful players at his disposal who won't want to leave and everyone there'll be a fantastic atmosphere it'll be fine if they finish outside the, the top four and they lose their manager and they, will, they have a history of players who are always banging on about wanting to be in the Champions League IWL I will go back to City uh, it'll it, they need to stay they need to, to, to get Champions League football for it to be a happy place I think 
Oh, raining on Spurs' parade there. Uh, huge win for QPR as they defeat Arsenal. Uh, ben, can you give a rational explanation for why they can uh, beat Liverpool, Arsenal, and Chelsea, but still struggle near the foot of the table? And uh, are they going to stay up? Uh, there isn't a rational explanation, really. I, I suppose you could look at it. All those games have been at home. Uh, they play very well at Loftus Road. When the atmosphere is there, the, the, the crowd is so close to the pitch, I think it drives them on and they, they produce results against the big teams because they have players who tend to rise to those occasions. Uh, I, I, their running is... I know it's against big teams and that might mean they lift their game and they play well and get points, but I just can't see them staying up. just can't see it. It was a relegation six-pointer at Molyneux and uh, as Bolton duly dispatched Wolves. But um, Ali, it was also a bit of a freak show what, with uh, uh, Hennessy and, and Johnson getting into it and um, Wolves being forced to play uh, some guy named David Davis who I actually thought was the guy who wanted to be Tory leader but instead is some kid from the youth team who was playing for Chesterfield bottom of League One earlier this year. Um, so let's, let's lay off a of Terry Connor. But seriously, was this a game that Bolton won or a game that Wolves lost? Uh, can it not be both? Um, I, I thought Bolton deserve a lot of credit for the way they played and, and, and the way that they've sort of rediscovered their momentum. Over, over, I mean, that's three wins on a three wins on the spin now, and, and, and they look confident at, at just the right time. Whereas Wolves look anxious and fractious and, and doomed. Really, they, they just look like a team who know they're going down. And, and looking at a table, you, you'd have to agree with that. Allison, uh, there was also a win for your old pal Roberto Martinez, or Martinez, as some people who've never been abroad like to call him. Uh, can Wigan stay up, and should Martinez, or Martinez, uh, move on to a bigger job regardless? I'll call him Bobby. Um, I've got money on Wigan staying up, so yes, they will stay up. Um, I, quite, I quite like Bobby's loyalty at Wigan, and if they stay up, which they will... I don't see why he shouldn't have another season where he actually tries to. I mean, you know, it, it went wrong. It's, it's another. It's another relegation fight, and it'll all be marvellous if they stay up. And uh, last season when they did, it was it was very emotional and beautiful. I think he. I think he should have another season where he tries to make them do more than just struggle. I think he should try and aim for top half of the table. And uh, he, he called it. He called it a lot. He called it a long term plan when he started. And I think I think he'd want to give it another year to prove that it's more than just that little battle at the end all the time. I think you'll find long term in football is three years, Alison. We've been there. He's done that. Time for him to move on. One more. Bigger One more season. Fry. This will all be discussed in an interview with him in the Times later this week. What? An interview by you? An interview by me. Fantastic. Already done. Giorgio Canalia passed away on Sunday. You knew him well, Gab. What will be his legacy? Well, I, I think this is incredible, larger than than life character. And I know it's, it's an often uh, overused term, but uh, you're talking about um, a guy who uh, who made history in Serie A, leading Lazio to their first ever title. Who was this, this, this huge personality, a colorful Lazio side with their guns and their airplanes, and constantly getting into fights. And you know, this guy who uh, who had the temerity at a World Cup to. Uh, uh, to give his manager the finger when he walked off the pitch, but also an incredibly generous man who who then later went on to to go to the New York Cosmos when he was really still at the peak of his career, became the, becoming the all-time leading goal scorer uh, in in the old North American Soccer League. Uh, you can see film once in a lifetime, and you can tell you a little bit what the craziness was like him playing with with Pele, with with Carlos Alberto, uh, the guy who came back with a long career in the media was was president of Lazio had. Uh, 
had uh, legal issues, um, major ones later. I, I just knew him as uh, somebody I talked to um, you know, a couple times a month, somebody I'd worked with, somebody who was always very, very generous uh, of his time with me, and, uh, and that's what I'm really going to miss. That's all we've got time for this week. But remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, your web chats. Ollie, when's your web chat? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday lunchtime. Uh, my web chat is on Tuesdays, Ben. Your web chat is never, if, or if you do have one, it'll be at another media organization. So we don't care about that because, of course, in case you've met, you haven't heard the news, uh, Ben Smith is leaving us. We are very sad uh, to see him go, and, and I will be having a chat with him in a bonus podcast. So make sure you download that as well. Uh, we're all on Twitter, but you already knew that. Till next week. Bye-bye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.